Please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 67 of the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we hear of the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness and God's gracious and faithful daily provision to them on their journey to Mount Sinai. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there, on the surface of the wilderness, was a fine, flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. 
When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who had gathered much had nothing over, and those who had gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, They gathered it as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. For six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. The second reading is taken from John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 35. It can be found on page 105 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus recalls the events of the Israelites in the wilderness by describing himself as the bread of life from heaven who will sustain us forever. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh." 
This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Richard. You took one for the team there, didn't you, Richard? Kind of like um, those who those who read and everything like that. If you're ever wondering um, the repetitious nature of Hebrew narrative, then that's just how they write stories, and so on from there. They don't write them in the same way that that we might write them. So there's a bit of um, Old Testament history knowledge. You can either keep that or. Ignore it as you wish. Shall we pray together? So Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom now and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ever walked through a difficult time in your life, a time when the days feel like you're, you're on this constant hike, this hike through deep, thick, heavy mud, where the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months with little respite and there it just appears as if life is on hold. It's kind of energy sapping, isn't it? And just to try and get up, or you almost feel exhausting before the day's even begun. Maybe it was grieving the loss of someone you loved, the angst of a troubled or rebellious child, a lost job, the new vocabulary of chemotherapy, the daily cycle of visits to a care home or hospital to visit a loved one. And you get left wondering how you'll cope. Maybe it happened to you, or maybe it happened because of you, or maybe it just happened, so some say apparently that's just life. Whatever the reason, the landscape of the season is much the same. We might be in such a time as that right now. And we often use a term or different types of term to describe these sorts of experiences, don't we? Some call them wilderness times. Some call them the land between. Some call them living in limbo. It's kind of this place of uncertainty, isn't it? Which is neither here nor there, where everything that once was just seems to have vanished and where the future is in question and where everything normal is disrupted. And we find ourselves navigating in this strange new world. It's the place we find the people of God this morning in our Bible reading from Exodus. Not just in a physical desert, but in a mental and emotional and spiritual wilderness. If you like, if you've missed any of the week so far, let's just fill in the gaps for us all as to here's where we've got on the Exodus story. Remember, at some stage, after the time of Joseph, the people of Israel who were living in Egypt find themselves forced into slavery by the Egyptians. That slavery lasted for 430 years. And they keep crying out to be delivered. And God hears their cry. 
And his response is to send this nomadic shepherd, this 80-year-old man called Moses, who'd kind of grown up in Pharaoh's palace and had been banished, and he sends him back to his homeland. Then God supernaturally delivers the Israelites through Moses and his brother Aaron. And then prior to the events just of today, we've seen how God has miraculously once more rescued the Israelites from a pursuing Pharaoh and his army by parting the Red Sea. And after the euphoria of all those triumphs, Moses and the people of Israel now find themselves in the desert, in the wilderness on a journey to Mount Sinai. Here's what we need to know about Egypt in those days. Egypt was the superpower of the day. The reason it was the superpower of the day, or one of the main reasons why it was the superpower of the day, was because large parts of it were desert. Particularly its border region and most of the land inward from the border. With the exception of the few oases, this was harsh desert. If you like, inhospitable to human civilization and impregnable to opposing armies. These are the days long before we see missile strikes into Mary's city of Mariupol. Or we see paratroopers sort of like flown into Donetsk. Or we see tanks on the streets of Kharkiv. In fact, in Egypt in those days, it was only the stretches of the land near the river Nile which were habitable for human life and where the population lived. But for the people of God, those days, however cruel, have long gone. And they're now in the wasteland of the wilderness. They've already travelled through one part of the wilderness. It's called the wilderness of Shur. They've just kind of stopped off just before that. You kind of love Hebrew narrative. Twelve springs of water and 70 palm trees of Elim. And they've been to this oasis, and now they find themselves sent into the region of the wilderness of sin. Think, actually, it's a place. It's not a moral concept, but it's perhaps apt for the behavior that we see demonstrated. You see, when the people of Israel traveled through the wilderness, like we will travel through the wilderness at times. We realize that every wilderness presents a test. A test of whether they would be totally trusting in God or trusting in him as a token. Every wilderness experience we go through presents a test. Will we totally trust God or will we trust him in token. Think of Jesus who was tested for 40 days in the wilderness. Every wilderness experience presents a test. Will we trust in the God that we sang about? The good and faithful and gracious God. For we read in verse 4 of this passage that God says to Moses, I will test them doesn't mean that God causes every wilderness experience. But here's what we need to understand about that word test. 
You know, when we think about it, it's the beginning of another exam season, isn't it? Maybe like me, you've got children or something like that, or grandchildren who might be studying for important exams. The purpose of God's test isn't for God to fail us. Nor is it an excuse for God to forget us if we fail the test. Nor is it an opportunity for us to show to God that somehow that we're good enough or worthy of him. After all, God had rescued the Israelites to be faithful to the descendants. That he was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And later in the Exodus narrative, you can read about it in chapter 20 and verse 20, you'd find the reason why God tests. That he tests to deepen our relationship with him. God tests to build up. Every wilderness experience presents a test. Token trust versus total trust. Secondly, every wilderness experience is paradoxically fertile ground. It's fertile ground as to whether we will practice that token trust or total trust. You see, as we see in the life of Jesus, as we'll see in our own lives, as we'll see in other people's lives, growth can and does happen in those wilderness times, doesn't it? We thrive there. The question is, what type of thriving? For good or for bad? Will it strengthen or weaken a trust in our gracious God? Because wilderness times produce a trust in God that cannot be produced in any other soil. Who or what we trust in will feed him. Every wilderness experience presents a test. It's fertile ground. And it's a choice. Choice in terms of our response. Will we trust in a gracious and faithful God who will be with us and watch over us, who will provide for our needs and who will strengthen us for the journey? You see, we choose in the test what the fertile ground will be. We choose in who or what we trust. Will we trust our gracious and faithful God totally or as a token what did the Israelites do in this passage because we see before us that choice and we see before us if you like if we follow the story through three signs of what token trust looks like and three signs of what total trust looks like here's what we can pick out if we follow the story through that firstly, token trust, it's kind of marked by this kind of constant grumbling. Do you see that? The whole congregation of the Israelites, once they got into the wilderness, complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, okay, we need to remember, let's, let's park it for a moment. Not all complaints to God are wrong. We know that, don't we? Because what's the, what's the largest group of the Psalms? They're laments. They're honest expressions to God of our, of our feelings, of what might be going on in our life. But here's what we need to remember about laments. They always lead to the psalmist 
expressing trust in God, expressing praise to God, expressing thankfulness to God, which is not what we see of the Israelites, is it? How do I know? Well, if we were to read the chapter before this one and the chapter after, we'd find that this wilderness experience is one of three that happens to the Israelites. Three stories that show that Israel's practice of grumbling, of complaining, was a repeated record. It wasn't an isolated experience. If you like, there was a crisis. Here, no food. In the other two experiences, no water to drink. That crisis led to them grumbling, if you like, to God and to Moses and to Aaron. And as a result of their grumbling, there was some sort of intervention by God, with God providing miraculously for the Israel's needs. Now, we might think, crisis, complaint, God intervenes. We might think that that leads if you like, Israel's complaints lead to God's actions. Believe you me when I say very soon that thread of causality starts to unravel. You see, all the Israelites' actions revealed was their token trust in God. If you like, it's another way of putting God to the test, isn't it? Now, of course, we're all good Christians, aren't we? So we don't grumble or complain, do we? Do we? Nobody answered yes. You know, but it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's just endemic in our culture, isn't it? Ever followed the, the comments left on a website or a social media feed? You know, kind of like, um, it's quite interesting watching the living story of the JP's website, isn't it? And then what you find, there are professional grumblers, aren't there? that you find that the same people who complain on one story complain on another story and complain on another story and complain on another story. And of course, sometimes we feel, don't we? We feel like it's only if we do complain or grumble that we get something done, don't we? And often that's not helped by the poor response we might receive when we have a legitimate complaint. And it's very easy to take that same thought and action into our relationship with God. Now here's what I know about God. God's big enough to handle our complaints. Whether they're legitimate, we might feel, or not, God is big enough to handle them. But perhaps first we should examine our own behavior. That what are we showing by that? Token trust or total trust in God? Then secondly, we see how token trust is marked by these unrealistic perspectives. If we look at verse 3 with me. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. Hold on a minute. It's, it's staggering, isn't it, really? How they view the past through the lens of these rose-tinted glasses, don't they? When in Egypt, 
The Israelites' so-called glory days, they cried out to God when they were in slavery for God to free them. And now, they're free. And they're ready to put their necks back in the yoke again in order that their stomachs might be filled. Staggering, isn't it? Yet it's so typical of human nature, isn't it? And it's very easy when we go through wilderness times, just like the people of God were going through, to kind of look at the past or the glory days through rose-tinted glasses. It was never as good as it was. And all the kind of practice is this token trust in a God who's been so gracious and faithful to them. And then token trust is marked by this repeated disobedience. As the story continues, God provides miraculously this food for them, this manna in the morning. And we read how God says that you are to take enough of the manna that you need for each day. Each day it will come and you just take enough for what you need for that day. And what do they do? They kind of gather more than they need for the day. And it kind of just becomes bad as a result. And if we were to read the story on, we'd find how God said, didn't he, how on day six they were to collect twice as much. Well, we'd find when day seven arrived that they went out looking for the manna again. And guess what? Surprisingly, they found none. If you like, these are just three signs of token trust that we can follow out, that we see in the Israelites' lives, that we can perhaps try to grasp in our own lives. Constant grumbling, unrealistic expectations, repeated disobedience. And instead, what Moses is trying to draw the people of Israel towards, what God is trying to say to them, is to don't practice token trust, practice total trust. As we read in verse 9 here, by drawing near to the Lord. And God's presence comes through the cloud. The picture of the cloud today is the presence of God's Holy Spirit within us. And he just says, practice total trust. Draw near to me. It's demonstrated by relying upon God to meet our daily needs. Ever wondered that famous prayer where Jesus got the line, give us this day our daily bread? Ever wondered where he kind of got it from? You see, the food that God gave the Israelites in the evening was actually quail, wasn't it? And then it was bread in the morning. And actually, in the wilderness times, we don't need to rely upon God less. We actually need to rely upon his love more. And there might be something in that idea of evening and morning. Not just maybe once a day, or maybe once a week, or whatever, but actually to lean into him more in such times. For he's the bread of life, isn't he? That's what he described himself as. 
When he was thinking about these events in the wilderness once more with the, with the people of, of Israel and their trying to guess, well, who are you, Jesus? And just before that, he's kind of said, I'm the bread of life. And then they complain and say, really, that's ridiculous. How on earth can you be the bread of life? And how on earth can you have been there before Abraham was born? But he's the bread of life. He's enough. There's no need to grumble. There's actually no need to hoard him. Because actually, he provides enough for every day. And so total trust just is demonstrated by relying upon him every day. It's actually characterized by actually remembering as well who he is. In verse 11 and verse 12. It's not about remembering nostalgically or with rose-tinted glasses, but it's actually remembering how the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob The God who rescued the Israelites from slavery. It's the same God who came and rescued us from the slavery of sin. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is our loving Heavenly Father. We trust in him because he's gracious and faithful. As the writer to the Proverbs tells us, doesn't he? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Remember that famous verse in Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Kind of like, if anything else, it's the only proverb that often if we know one, we know this one, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. In other words, we trust in him with all of our heart. We remember who he is. As maybe if you were praying in the prayer diary yesterday, remember what the prayer is on a Saturday? To trust in him. Because he will provide for all that we need. He will make our path straight. He'll show us the path to follow. He'll lead us on the right track. Because we'll be practicing total trust. And then the third way. It's following God's repeated command. You know, this is quite strange at first, we might think. What does God command the people to do? To keep the Sabbath. And I was thinking, why on earth? Why on earth does kind of that just kind of come out? You could almost look at it and I was thinking, it's almost coming left field. Why on earth does God then say this, that total trust is practiced by keeping the Sabbath? And then it hit me. When you walk through the wilderness times, they're not restful times, are they? You're on edge. Energy saps so so quickly. So even more, we're reminded of the Sabbath. Not a mandate that came from Mount Sinai, but that actually comes from creation. That we're to practice what God did. On the seventh day of the week. You know, it's just as significant for any times in our life, isn't it? To obey the Sabbath mandate from the beginning of time. It kind of sticks almost two fingers up, doesn't it, to the world. And it's way of working for many today. That all that needs to be done can be done in six days. And we don't have to have this obsession 
or this expectation of others to have to work round the clock 24 hours a day, every day of every week, every month of every year. So, what's the conversation the Holy Spirit's wanted to say to you now? Where's he kind of speaking to you now? Where's he kind of prompting you now? Where might he want to move you into a deeper way with him? To practice that total trust. Where might he want to, to move us? Maybe we've kind of become a bit too good at grumbling. And he just wants us to say, to just trust him. To say, Lord, I trust you to meet my daily needs. Where might we be kind of looking with rose-tinted glasses to the past? And where might he want us to actually remember who he really is? Perhaps even show us something new of him. Where might he be saying, actually, you know what? You've kind of just fallen into a few bad practices there. And he might want us to just say and keep his commands. So shall we pray together? And as we pray together, I'm going to invite Justin and Amy. They're going to play this next song for us. And maybe we might use it as a, as a prayer this morning. And if you're watching at home, you might use it as a prayer too for yourselves. And allow the Holy Spirit to continue to have that conversation with you this morning.
So may we know you as the gracious and faithful Lord who provides and gives us our bread daily. And may we trust in that provision knowing that you will do everything you have promised. Knowing that your love for us is eternal. And knowing that you will complete the work that you have begun in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.